0: I would like to start by looking at Deuteronomy 18 near the end. Because here's a quiz for you guys. What is our theme this year? The sovereignty of God. And that is the attribute of God that is the most encompassing of everything else, remember? Because if he's holy but he's, if he, and he's not sovereign, then he's not holy in everything. Or if he's righteous and he's not sovereign, then he's not righteous in everything. But the fact that he's sovereign and he controls everything just enhances all those other attributes of his. So, and and that one attribute also is the one that brings the most peace to us as his children because he's got everything under his control. The beginning from the end. So we're just going to, You know, go back a little bit in time here when Moses was still alive before the people go into the land. You don't have to go there with me. If you want to, you can. But I'm going back to 18. And I'm going to read verses 19 to 14. This describes the land that they're going into when they cross the Jordan. When you come, Moses speaking, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a median or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. This is demonic stuff. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. This is what the people were told. They knew this. They knew the kind of corruption in this land that they were going into. These were evil, evil people. Satan worshipers, totally destroying their children. Just, it was just bad. So that's in verse 18. And then Moses goes on to talk about the laws and all these laws. I'll just read the highlights of my Bible laws concerning the cities of refuge, property boundaries, laws concerning witnesses, laws concerning warfare, um, atonement for unsolved murders, marrying female captives, inheritances, rights of the firstborn, various laws, laws concerning sexual immorality. Miscellaneous laws, miscellaneous laws, laws concerning um, more marriage, uncleanness in the camp, miscellaneous laws, 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 laws. And we come up to chapter 27, and Moses says this. Or Moses does this. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, keep the whole commandment that I commanded you today. There's a long list of stuff. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord the As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I commanded you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall weld no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones and you shall offer to burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings and you shall eat there and there shall rejoice before the Lord your God and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Now, why do I read you that? Because God had told them what they were going to be doing here in chapter 7, 8, 9, 6, 7, and 8, okay? So they knew all this. They knew they were going to conquer the land, the cities. They knew they were going to build this altar. It's a done deal. He's sovereign. Hadn't happened yet to them, but he's sovereign, and it was going to happen. In order to conquer Canaan, Jericho and Ar were two cities that were strategically placed that was kind of in their way. Jericho um, was On, like, the there was a road, a mountain road that went through, and Jericho was on one end of it, and Ai was on the other end of it. And they needed to get access to this road to get into Canaan and do what they needed to do, so therefore, these were uh, strategic cities that they needed to conquer. So, we start here in, in six now, and we find out that Jericho is like completely on lockdown no one's going into there and no one's coming out of there because they are so afraid of these israelites and what they have seen happen so far how they crossed that jordan river how that wall of water stood up high and you know and then i was thinking about the other day how did it come down did it splash or did God, was it like a ribbon wall and then it just kind of way down? You ever think about that? How'd that come out of there? Anyways, um, we'll find out when we get to heaven if we want to know. But um, they, they knew all this stuff and they were horrified of what was going to happen. And Rahab was the one, you know, they all knew about it, that it was like the Israelites, you don't want to mess with God's people is basically what was happening here. So they were all locked down, scared huge wall around this city, huge wall. What were they going to do? They going to, God was going to give it to them, all locked up. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. See, why would he say see? Because it's been written down. Moses just told them about it. They wrote it down. So he's telling, see, I'm going to, I'm going to, you can, you can read about it. I'm going to give this to you. It's a done deal. And so he's going to tell them how he's going to do it. And you're going to march around the city and you're going to have the ark. Again, the ark is prominent in the, in this whole procession of things. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. Now this is... We have to read stuff carefully. This is the Lord talking to Joshua. And he's telling them how you're going to do it. You're going to march around seven times. You're going to have the trumpets blow. And then the walls are going to fall down. Verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests and the trumpets um, go before the Ark of the Covenant. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the lord he's just telling them get the priests ready get the trumpets ready and get the ark ready there's no mention of how many times there's no mention of any days there's no mention of what's going to happen joshua knows but the people we know but the people don't know right now the people needed to be focused on their on the ark which represents god in their midst their hearts their minds on God instead of on this difficult situation that is facing them. This huge wall, all shut up. The doors are all, the gates are all shut up. No one's going in and out. They can't focus on that. These aren't good words for us, aren't they? Don't focus on the problems that are out there. We focus on God. Now, there's a little bit of a catch here with this marching around here. And this is, <laughs> is kind of humorous in a way. Verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people to do, they start, they get it all together. And get all that stuff going with the rear guard and everything and blowing the trumpets. Verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. He didn't say on the seventh day shout. They don't know how many days they're marching around this thing. They need to be quiet. Quiet. So, it's a step of faith, isn't it, to be able to do this. It's a silence before God. How many times do we need to just... Mm? <laughs> I, it's kind of humorous because with my four-year-old granddaughter, Ezra, she's learning how to restrain her tongue, too, especially at dinner time. Because she goes a mile a minute. <clears throat> it's time to sit down at the dinner table. Everybody's in. So, Ezra, you haven't picked up your fork one time. I don't want you to say any, no words coming out of your mouth, just food going in. And she does it, she does it, and be, and, the, and I look away, I come back, and she's holding her plate up, and it's all empty like this. So I know she can do it, but to practice those things, restraining the tongue, zipping it, biting your lip, we have a lot of things about that, don't we? The, 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 Tongue is actually the part of the body that has two doors that need to be open before any words can come out. We got our lips and we got our teeth. So we've got to be careful and restrain and learn how to listen, especially listening to God. So first day they start marching around, piece of cake. We got this. They march around in verse 11. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in camp. That was, that was pretty easy. Kids were quiet. Everybody was quiet. No problem. And then Joshua rose early the next morning, and they go around again. On the second day, verse 14. And they march around the city once, and they would go back to camp. So here we have the Canaanites in Jericho, petrified, and they're watching this happen watching this happen, and the Israelites were all marching around, and this ark is marching around, and the men of valor are marching around, and no one's talking, and as they march around, they're realizing this is a really big wall, and could it be that they even start to question or doubt what's going on here? How much longer is Joshua going to make us march around this wall and not say anything? obedience to the very end if we're not obedient to the very end we're not obedient right i could imagine the canaanites mocking those people (laughs) what are they doing down there they go around again they're not even saying anything cowards cowards you know they were starting to get some courage back behind that wall because there was no threat here than walking around and being mocked and everything what was going on in the minds of the israelites as they marched around one of your verses that you looked up was hebrews eleven thirty, that great chapter of faith hebrews 11 did you know the walls of jericho were mentioned in there By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith. Faith for seven days. Faith was being tested. We were told to do this. Can we be obedient with it day after day after day? Can we trust God when we don't know what the end result is going to be? We don't know about day 7. We know he's going to deliver it to us because Moses told us that he was going to del- God was going to deliver it to us. Obedience highly glorifies God. When we are obedient, God is glorified and with that we get rewarded. Beautiful example. Philippians 2, verse 8 and 9, talking about Christ Jesus who came, humbling himself. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to the end. He fulfilled it to the end. How many times up there was he tempted just to get crawl on the, off of there? Or just to strike everybody dead around. Who knows? Obedient to the end. Nine. Therefore, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the, the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Obedience glorifies God and rewards us. So, are they able to pull this off? Well, they are. They march around. They go around second day, and they do it for another six days. And on the seventh day, they rose early on chapter 15, and they marched around the seventh time. And on that day, on the seventh day, what do we know about the number seven? Number of completion. Um, On the seventh day, and the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, He said to the people, shout, and they shouted. Now, notice the order of these things. Well, before I get to that, the writing gets, Joshua writes about the city, and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Everything in it is going to be to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all her family um, will be okay. And he's telling the Israelites, "...you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Least when you, devoted, least when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the, the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon yourself. But all the silver and the gold and every vessel and bronze things and iron, they will be given to the Lord's treasury." Probably that is because it 's the first fruits. this is the first city they 're conquering there 's going to give some of the fruits, first fruits there. The people though were not supposed to take anything because it was also corrupt. Demonic stuff can hang on can attach to demonic things there, you just don 't want to do that symbolism, stuff like that God is saying don 't have anything to do with it. You are holy and set apart. Um, Flee the devil, stay away from that stuff. Now, things associated with demonic depravity, worship of idols, that's bad stuff, all right? There are things, though, that, well, let's look at Romans 9, because that's kind of a hard thing. Why were things devoted to destruction and stuff? Romans 9 21 to 23. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. God has things and people that are just for destruction. So that side of God, we can see his righteousness and his power If there wasn't any evil in the world, there'd be a whole side of God that we wouldn't even know about. So whether we like it or not, God has things that are just specifically for destruction and things that are for honorable use also. The stuff that was in the city, it was all to be destroyed. It was all corrupt. So they march around in verse 20. They go around they hear the trumpet, the people shout, and did you notice the walls didn't fall until the people shouted? It wasn't like the the, the trumpet went off and the walls fell. The trumpet went off, the people shouted, and what happened? The walls came down. This is a step of faith also when they did all that. So they get in there, they rescue Rahab, and this is... This is another picture of God taking out his remnant, like Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah from the flood. I honestly believe we're going to get out of here before anything bad happens. We are rescued from judgment, because the end times is going to be judgment, and we're not going to be judged. So Rahab comes out of there. We see the contrast between judgment and salvation. The city's going to be burned and destroyed, but Rahab and her family are going to be saved. The marching around the city was the people's testimony, obedient faith. They were called to do this without really even understanding what was going to happen ahead of time. So that was their testimony to, to us, to the people in Jericho, to the whole area, uh, to the world, basically, because it's been written down, um, of obedience and and faithfulness. God had told the Israelites, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, it's going to be cursed. It's not going to be so good. Then Joshua gets this, verse 26, this oath, and says that there's going to be cursed anyone, after the whole thing's rubble, anyone who rebuilds this, City of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he shall lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest son, shall he set up its gates. Many many years later, in 1 Kings 16:34, a guy named Hiel attempted to rebuild Jericho. And if you go there in 1 Kings 16:34, you'll see this happened. Laid the foundation. His firstborn died. Set the gates. His youngest son died at the cost of this. Is this not a sovereign God we serve? Yes, it is. The sovereign God. And we are in a sovereign God's army. How do we fight in a sovereign God's army? By obedience. In Romans 4, it talks about... I think it's Romans 4. I forgot to write that down. We overcome Satan... By the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. And when we are obedient, that's our testimony. When we stand true and firm and not waver and not compromise. How many Christians have compromised this book? But our testimony is there. That's how we fight in God's army. All right. Chapter 7, we find out that the victory was kind of short-lived. They, you know, kind of, something happened, something went wrong. At this point in the story, no one really knows about it except Achan and maybe his family and God. But notice how it's written as a group of people that the people of Israel broke faith in regard to to the devoted things. Because Achan had taken something. And God is dealing with a nation here. This is Old Testament. He's dealing with a nation. Um, but we see that not everyone in Israel obeyed, okay? He took something. For Achan, the son of Karma, son of Zebdai, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, Judah is, shoot, that's David's tribe. That's Jesus' tribe, isn't it? Took some of the devoted things. Took some of this demonic stuff. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. I would like to... Not like to, but I wonder if... It just didn't go well for the whole camp that day. You know? Ever have those days where you get out of the wrong side or something's just off, you know? Something's just off. Even though... Not everyone, you know, it was just Achan, his anger burned against the whole thing. Things weren't going well. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The body of believers, you know, we, 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 we are connected we, in the Old, in New Testament, we, we share each other's burdens when things aren't going, I mean, we, 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 we're affected by it. When one member rejoices, we rejoice with them. So anyways, God's anger is burning now. But they're not sure what's, it's just an off day, whatever. Joshua sends two spies in, um, or sends men in. I don't know if there's two. He sends some spies in, see what's going on. They come back. They tell him, well, you know what? Piece of cake here. Jericho is a big city that fell. AI, not that big. We can probably handle it. We're two, 3,000 men, you know. I mean, did they, whatever. It really didn't matter if they sent in 100,000 men, because why? God wasn't with them. He wasn't with them. So, even if it's a big, small enemy, no matter what it is, David, Goliath, whatever it is, if God is not with us, if we have sinned, disobedience brings in discouragement, brings in defeat, and brings in doubt. Those are Satan's tactics too, right? And when we are disobedient, Satan gets a foothold into our thinking. And then we get discouraged. Why am I so discouraged? Well, check your heart. What's going on? Well, I, I'm defeated. Everything I try, I'm just. it's a bad day. And then there's doubt. That what happened with Joshua, he started to doubt. Verse 6 says that he was just kind of... Um, Tore his clothes, fell to the earth, face down before the Ark of the Covenant, saying, God, where are you? Basically saying, God, you've left us. What's going on here? You've changed your mind. You changed the plan. He started to doubt God's faithfulness. Mourning the 36 men that died, mourning the loss of the blessings. This was just a, you know, this was just a, hey, we'll win someone we'll lose something. This was was huge. If God wasn't going to be with them, then weren't they better off staying on the other side of the Jordan? So, you know, and but Joshua is also concerned for, you know, God's name. Uh, They represented who he was. They were his people. But he started to doubt. Well, verse 10 lets us know what the real reason was behind them, this defeat. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant, I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So this is news to Joshua now. Good news is God didn't fail. That is really good news. Bad news is there was sin in the camp. The problem, whenever we start to feel discouraged, defeated, or doubting, the problem is always with us. Those should be red flags within us to kind of take a spiritual inventory about what's going on in our life. Get up. Quit begging God. It's not about God changing his mind. Joshua, you've got to get the Israel to change their heart toward God. So, verse 12. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies... We can't. They'll turn their backs before the enemies, and because they have taken these things, God says, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. God is not going to just turn the other way on sin. Well, I guess that's okay. It's just a little sin. He is serious about sin because it is cancerous. And if you start to just get a little crack in there, it is like leaven that keeps going. God cannot tolerate sin he can't be around sin he is holy we are to be holy because he is holy so his mercy is what keeps us kind of under the thumb until we deal with it there's no power over sin nope we have we're really powerless to really live a full christian life when we've got this stuff going on so if you're having a bad day do a heart check see what's happening Israel was under the covenant with God. God told them, I will bless you if you obey. If you disobey, there'll be curses. Our position with God isn't quite as extreme. Our position with God is made by the work of Christ on our behalf. He has taken us from the dominion of darkness and put us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Nothing is going to take us out of that. Nothing is going to Strip us down and put us back over here. It's not going to happen. We're spiritually dead here. Now we're spiritually alive. What God has made in us, nothing, height nor death, nor principalities, nor our own sin, no nothing is going to have the power to do that back. But our sin can hinder our fellowship with God. Um, and in his mercy, like I said, these, when we fail... He, he kind of keeps it until he, our sin is dealt with. It's almost like we're in here, in the kingdom, and we've sinned. And he, we're in the washing machine, and he turns up the agitation. And we're not really dealing with the sin yet. So he puts in a little bit more soap, and he turns up the agitation a little bit more. Keeps it going a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, until we finally say, okay, okay, I need to deal with it. And we do. And then we're back in, in fellowship with God. All right, 14 to 15 talks about the instructions, what they're going to do and how they're going to deal with it. He's going to call in the tribes um, a little bit at a time, come on in, and, and God's going to kind of weed them out. And it starts from a big group of people, keeps going down, keeps going down, keeps going down, keeps going down. Whoa, what happens? Keeps going down. Can you imagine what's going on with Achan right now? (laughs) sweating bullets man thought he could get away with it no sin is hidden from God Um, excruciating experience for Achan one of the things that we can do when we're tempted is to remember the regret that we might have if we follow through with this The best thing that we can do is think, if I do that, will I be able to go to bed tonight with a clear conscience? Um, So if we can remember the regret that sin can be... And this was willful sin here. I'm not talking about, you know, an error, a mishap. This is willful sin. Because having a clear conscience, nothing can substitute for that, really. So, in verse 19... God singles, you know, Achan out. And what do we have here? Um, We have him. says to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord your God of Israel and praise him. When we confess our sin, that glorifies God. He repented before all this stuff, before he lost his life. Tell me now what you have taken. And a can answer Joshua Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shagnar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them and took them. See, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent and the silver unearthed. So his whole family knew about it. You don't dig a hole in the middle of your tent and cover something up without people knowing about it, right? This robe that he had his eyes on, um, Shinar was later on became that Babylon. And Babylon was like the, I don't know, the main fashion industry success, worldliness, and everything. So in this, uh, when they got into the Jericho, he sees this robe that's just, it may have been adorned with beautiful colors and embroidery or whatever. It caught his eye and he coveted it. And he takes it and takes some gold with it. You know, I look at that and say, where was he going to wear it? Really? (laughs) Because if he wore it, wouldn't they know? Where'd you get that thing? So in the moment, it was like an impulse thing. Many times, if we can ride out and not sin and delay it, it's not so bad. We have the willpower, asking God to help us. And that's the key to ask him to help us to get through it. He willfully sinned. He wasn't content with God's provision, and he takes this thing. Well, he does confess. They go and get it. It's confirmed. Judgment is executed, and they take them, and they they burn them. They burn him. They lay it out before the Lord and his family. And I don't. I'm not going to get into what's going on with the family. I don't know. Maybe they let them go. Weren't stoned. I don't know. It does say they stoned him in verse uh, 25, and they burned them with the fire, the stuff, and stoned them with stone, So I don't know. It's neither here nor there. The thing is, God takes sin very seriously okay? He takes sin very, very seriously, and he wants us to be obedient, and he wants us to glorify him because he wants to bless us. If we reward our children, our grandchildren, when they misbehave, what do they learn from that, really? You know, because we want them to like us, and oh, I don't want them to get upset. No, those, no. They're sinning, they need to do the right thing. We reward them for good things. We encourage the good stuff. We educate them. We teach them that. All right, let's wrap this up here. And I'm going to wrap it up quick in verse chapter 8 because we kind of already covered this. All right. So, verse 1 is Joshua hears from God, do not fear and do not be dismayed. We've heard that before, okay? I've already given this to you. Here's the plan. Here's the ambush. From the day before, um, the people in AI, they chase the Israelites away. Now, same tactic, and Satan's going to use the same tactic, because if it works once, it's going to continue to work until it doesn't work anymore. So, Joshua is saying, okay, so some of the troops go out behind the city, not too far, in the middle of the night, stay back there, and we'll I'll stay with these people and in the morning we'll come out so far and they'll say, hey, they're coming again. And they'll look and then we'll we'll turn around and we'll run away. And they'll say, hey, they're running away from us like they did the other day. Let's go get them. So they all come out of the city and they all, everyone, all their fighting men come out of the city. This is great. We're going to go chase these Israelites into the woods. And then behind the city. All those fighting men enter the city. Once they see the javelin up in the air, they come in and they destroy it. Um, set it on fire. And then these guys who are chasing the air and I get it, I smell smoke. Turn around. Oh no. They all retreat. Now they're caught because the ones who were in the city, the Israelites who were in the city come out in the front of the city. They come around here and they've got them in an ambush and they destroy them all. That's how it Played out brilliant tactics there. Um, And it worked. A total victory. Now, I'm just going to zero in on this last part here. Verses 30 to the end. The people then go and build an altar for the Lord on Mount Ebal. The valley... The two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gezerah, Gezerum is up there, okay? Jerizim, how, where, where, did I, Jerizim, okay? So there's two mountains there, and it's a natural amphitheater between these two mountains, Okay, great acoustics. It's easily easy to hear. People in today's culture have gone there and can you can hear conversation from here and over here. So this is the picture that's happening. This is what Moses told them to do in Deuteronomy twenty seven eight, where Joshua is going to take the stones and write down the law. Okay, so he's writing down the law for the people. He's going to have um, half the um, the leaders of the tribes. On this side, on this mountain, and the other half on this mountain, and he lists them in Deuteronomy. Who's on each side? Okay, this can be Ebal here, and this can do Jezreel over here. And so, um, the, in Ebal, they are listing, well, let's start over here because they start with the blessings. This is the blessings, and every time they recited a blessing, the people would say amen. And they'd recite another blessing, and the people would say amen. And they go down through the law. And on this side, when it gets to the curses, and if you do this, This is the curse, and the people will say amen, and they go through the curses. So they had it written down, they had it spoken, recited to us, and it was a response to it. God is getting the law into their head so they could remember it. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that the altar was built on the mountain of Ebal, where the curses were. This is a picture of God saying, you guys are going to blow it. We're going to blow it. But here's an altar. Here's a way out. Here's a sacrifice of Jesus Christ because we're going to blow it. This is good. We're going to try to make it here. But you know what? Even back then, God was identifying that we needed a Savior. We needed a a solution to the sin problem. And he did it. He made a picture of it. A way to escape condemnation is through Jesus Christ. Well, three chapters are a lot to go through, so I want to thank you for being patient and kind of navigating through all that. There's a lot of great stuff in here. The biggest thing is to remember, though, we are in the Lord's army. We are. But he's a sovereign God, and we're going to win. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all the game plans. He knows it. And how we fight these battles is through prayer, is through obedience, because it's our testimony that overcomes Satan. It's our testimony and our, and our being long-suffering to hang in there for a long time. God, thank you that you have given us your word. You have given us our, your spirit to help us be obedient, and you have even provided a way through Jesus Christ that we will not have to face condemnation, that you forgive us, you lift us back up, help us to be good testimonies, help us to stay set apart from the world that we live on so we can glorify you. Amen.